Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Durhaj. So, Angela, let's, let's just kind of jump into this whole concept of um, that athlete, athletes are created. You know, I'm going to assume, and the, the, Mariah is how old now? She's 28. 28 years old. And when did you kind of first see, um, now I know with your background, um, you were an athlete growing up, um, and uh, you went to things like OFSA, which is the Ontario um, kind of regionals for running. So. I'm going to say that was in her blood to begin with. Yes. Um, yes. So at some point, um, she started to demonstrate a skill. So when, when was that, that she started to kind of show the, the ability to, to run or, or even had, um, you know, show that she wanted to be an athlete? To, right. At this um, we tried many different sports with Mariah, but nothing seemed to fit for her, her personality, her style. So it was in, we would always do a little running ourselves as a family and um, she always participated in that. And there was a, um, when she was at Notre Dame de la Jeunesse, which was a grade school um, in the area. So you're saying that uh, she showed acumen um, not until she was about 14 years old. Actually younger than that, around 12. Around 12, okay. Around 12 years old. Okay, so you'd go on your little family runs. I remember when we would go walking or you'd say she would go on her rollerblades she would give up and you would keep running yes and that was probably when she was a little bit younger yeah okay yes. so you're saying that there's she started to demonstrate something that said there was more well she always wanted to be good at something and she would always talk what do i need to do what do i need to do to be the best at this so running was something that i said you know you have some natural talent in running why don't you think about pursuing that so at 12, she competed at the Notre Dame de la Jeunesse against all of the children there, all grades, uh, seven and eight, and she actually won the cross-country meet. So that was enough to instill the confidence she needed and the, you know, to allow her to feel that, yeah, this is something I can do. And by the time we got into grade nine, um, we had signed up with a local track club, uh, Niagara Regional Athletics, um, and she was committed to making the Olympics at some point. So she's been talking about making the Olympics since she was 15 years old. Wow. That's pretty amazing, right? So she's, she had it in her, I would say genetically from some, yeah. from you guys running and you being going off and doing regionals yourself. And at some point she decided I'm into it. And then she wants to go to the Olympics. Right. Was there ever Talk about that when you were growing up and you were running? Absolutely. Wow. I was, um, I was third in all of Canada for the um, 8 and 1500 meter. Mm. And there was talk. I was in grade nine at the time. And there was talk of me, you know, going off for the summers and competing at a higher level internationally in the U.S. and throughout Canada. And uh, my parents weren't quite sure if that was a good idea for me. Mm. And at 15 or 14 the age I was I wasn't really able to make that decision either 
Wow. So um, I, I don't regret not pursuing it, but in my cards, it just didn't play out. But I had the talent. I had coaches and, and schools looking at me also in grade nine and 10 about going away to compete. So yeah, there was some, you know, genetics that she gained, but I think what she had that most athletes uh, at this level display is she had that innate ability to commit and do whatever it took to make it. Hmm. And she believed that she could do it. Let's talk about those, that innate ability, right? Um, so what does that look like? Like she starts running, Obviously, she, I mean, she's talented, she's, she's, she's slender, she's longer, she's got the right kind of physique. Um, so when you say innate ability to kind of commit, what, what does that look like? Uh, it's never giving up. Like, there's mm. lots of setbacks. And in a sport like the 1500 meter, which is what she is specializing in now, uh, it's only you you can look at when you fail or when you have setbacks. There's no one else. In a team, you have the whole team behind you. In, in running or track and field, it's only you. Mm. So she just demonstrated the ability, what do I need to do? Tell me what I need to do and I will do it. And she did. Everything that she was told, she did. She mm. left nothing to chance. Um, and she slowly started to succeed. The other thing I think she um, displayed was the belief that she could overtake her opponents. So she'd look at someone like um, that was way better than her and say, next year, I'm going to get her. Hmm. And the following year, she'd be way ahead of this, this young lady that she was competing against. So that, that whole concept of, of seeing it in your mind, yes. right, is something that she sounded like she did very well, very young. Yeah, was that her always. personality all her life? Yeah, always. Okay. So yeah. tell me what she was like as a little girl. Uh, well, whatever she set her mind to, she would do. She mm -hmm. would just ask, how do I need, what do I need to do to accomplish this? Mm -hmm. How will this be if I, if I get to this level? And we always instilled in her, if you believe and you try, you will succeed. Mm. Right. So I think that's, um, something that's important and, and innately believing that because sometimes you can say that to children, they, they don't believe it. She really did believe that if she put in the hard work and she did everything she was supposed to, that she would succeed. So let's talk about some of these traits you're referring to that, that there's certain, like you said, athletes are created. They're not born. And that said, um, I'm going to say she had to have certain genetics. Like we said, she, she may have gained from you. Um, she obviously had the right environment that said, Hey, you know, um, if you can see it, you can, you can do it, but it's going to take a whole lot of hard work. And, and I mean, I know I follow her on Instagram and Facebook and I see what it takes, you know, and, and it's ongoing, um, you know, day in, day out and, and the sacrifices she's had to make. But so what are some of the qualities that you said these athletes or people like Mariah have? Well, I think it's, they have to have confidence and the confidence comes from their success. Mm -hmm. um, from that, they have to have a strong sense of motivation. Mm -hmm. uh, there are times where she puts way more effort in than what she gets back out of it, meaning that, um, you know, her, her workouts translate into a certain performance and then it doesn't ever, not ever, sorry, it sometimes doesn't show when it should on the track. Mm -hmm. So dealing with that setback and having to analyze and look at where you can do things differently. I think being able to receive criticism or being coachable you can never get to a level where you're not coachable. You always need to be able to improve. Mm -hmm. 
I think the other thing is um, having that inner desire to succeed. And she's demonstrated that, that most of her life. She's never going to be a failure. She was never going to fail anything she ever put her mind to. She was successful at. Uh, another example is academically. We put her in all French school from junior kindergarten to grade eight. She ended up being fluent in French. She was the valedictorian of that school. Uh, so, you know, all the challenges that we presented to her, she overcame with some setbacks and, of course, some, you know, difficult trying times, but believed in what she was, sorry, she was trying to accomplish. I think they have to be a natural goal setter. And she was always very good at that. In fact, I still have her um, four-year plan when she was 15 <laughs> to get to the Olympics and what she had to do and every step of the way and the things that she had to tick off. Wow. Did she have like a journal or a log? She of, does you journaling. Know? And she also had a poster above her bed where she laid out the time frame. With all the steps. All the steps. Wow. Yeah. So it's so funny because I obviously, you know, RJ golfs that that's also something that he does. Yes. And, you know, I would see on his desk at night, he would talk about what he did that day and what he was going right. to try to achieve that day. So it's interesting yeah. because that was not something that I ever taught him or he was really exposed to at a young age. Right. You know, and I think that's something that you see in these elite athletes. Mm -hmm. um, Self-discipline is another one that mm -hmm. she's had to make many decisions and be disciplined uh, when everyone else in her age group were out, you know, drinking and partying. She, she would go along, but come home early because she knew she had a long run the next day, or she had, you know, a race that she was competing at. Optimism is another one. I think to be optimistic and believe that you can make that world stage and what that performance translates to. There's no self doubt, right? You have to believe and um, mm -hmm. move forward. Um, we talked about the natural leadership, and I think she demonstrated that most of her young life and into her adult life. I see it how she speaks to her teammates, how she is at events. Uh, when she does do interviews, she talks about that leadership, you know, ability mm -hmm. and leading others. Uh, resilience, I think, is another one. Um, and I think all elite athletes have this sense of resilience, you know, and um, the ability to to work through that. So let's talk a little bit, you know, resilience. We, you know, we talk a lot and, you know, obviously, you know, my brand is completely about resilience yes. and getting back up when you get knocked down and how are you going to make sense of it? Now, as a parent, so I'm going to think you played two roles. I think you're going to, you probably helped her with the mindset stuff ongoing, but you also were a mom and obviously, you know, dad was there too. And right. so how do you kind of, differentiate those roles it, it can become it was easier as she was younger because she needed more of that parenting mother figure plus the you know the believing the raw raw the cheerleader in the background as she's been in her adult life it's been much more difficult she doesn't need me as a mother anymore she needs me more as a mom that asks about how she's doing personally not how she's doing with her races mm -hmm. or how she's performing so I've taken a conscious approach to this and I try not to follow um, all of her races. I look them up after. I don't talk <laughs> about them with her until she's ready to talk about them. If I do watch a race um, via video, um, I'll wait till she calls me to talk about it versus calling her up saying, oh, well, I saw your race. You look so great. Um, I try not to give much technical feedback. I stick more with the, you know, what I see as a mom and mm -hmm. how proud I am of her and all of that. 
um, she'll often get into those discussions, the technical piece, and she'll, you know, sound things off, and I listen. I think listening is really important, especially with an adult elite runner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She knows exactly what she needs to do, and sometimes she just needs some reassurance. So it's really kind of taking the perspective as being mom first as she's become an adult versus maybe when she was younger, you know, you probably were teaching her a lot more about nutrition, maybe a bit about mindset. I mean, obviously with her training camps, like that I see all the time, she's got the coaches, she's got, I mean, her eating, obviously, you know, she's ripped to the point where, you know, it's, it's just phenomenal to watch the level of commitment it takes with nutrition and all those things. Right. And she's constantly training. So, really being unconditional with her as a mom, you're saying is one of the best qualities that she needs at this point to to help her kind of get to where she's going. Right. Yeah. She doesn't need me to be telling her what to do. She already knows what she needs to do. Sometimes she needs some reassurance that she's on the right track, or she might ask me something about nutrition and what she might be able to clean up. And then I'll give some feedback on that, but you're right. She's supported by a lot of efforts. Mm. Um, sometimes she just needs to just be listened to. So let's talk a little bit. Now, when she started to, she went from obviously winning, you said that first championship. So there's, she's been at level after level and she's to get to have gotten where she's gotten. So tell everyone kind of where she's at now. And, um, in reference to where, where she's trying to get to in the next little while. So right now she is on track for 2020 and, um, she is um, very close, I would say. Um, there's a third spot open. Top three athletes in Canada go to the Olympics. Uh, she is competing for third spot right now. And the difference between the three other girls that are there is a tenth of a second each. Wow. So it's, it's all reachable. Um, she still has to run the standard, which is for 406.5 for the 1500 meter. Uh, her best performance is 409 low. Um, so it seems like a lot, but um, I think under the right circumstances, she's right there. Mm-hmm. This year, she placed third in Canada uh, and she uh, was on the podium and received a medal. And I think that was a really another good place for her to be to boost her confidence as to where she should be this year. So this is a big year for her. Um, The Olympics is in July of 2020. It's in Tokyo and uh, everything goes on the track today, uh, as of today and this year. Um, She's got nothing to lose, everything to gain and all of her hard work is going to um, transpire into a place on the Canadian team. Wow, that's that's amazing. You know, the sheer amount of, um, you know, tenacity that it takes even when things went wrong. So let's talk a little bit about that for anybody that obviously has a goal. Like we t- you talked a lot about um, seeing that goal well ahead of time. And I know with you, with a lot of the, the things that you've done, not just with Angela, with um, Mariah, but just with other people in your different environments um, in health and wellness and those types of things, you're, co- you're constantly coaching people to maximize. So I'm, I'm going to assume some people on the line that are listening to us are parents that are trying to coach their kids if they see aptitude at times in HR, which is your background and disability management. You're trying to support people to, 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 do, to do their best. So what kind of things do you find from an HR perspective if we could talk a little bit about that, shifting a bit from sports, which is really no different, to be able to support people when they do have goals, 
but maybe they're not so good as Mariah, which she just kind of, you know, locks it up, seals it down and it's, it's done. Um, but the every, everyday person that has goals, we all struggle with goals, first right. of all, I would say. Um, I think the most important, again, is instilling that confidence, right? Believing that they can achieve that goal and breaking that goal down to help them with the little steps. Uh, to say to someone, you know, you need to eat right in order to lose weight, that's easier said than done. So you need to break it down. What is eating right? Mm -hmm. What do they know about eating right? What do they think is eating right? Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that they've never really been active? How do they get active? You don't just go and run a 5K. You start with maybe walking 10 minutes a day. Uh, maybe you start with just walking on your lunch, taking the stairs. So we break down the goals. And I found that most successful when I had a program at the uh, Niagara Falls View Casino and Casino Niagara where we took 700 participants over a one-year period and they were all in, um, you know, on the line of having four chronic illnesses um, and needed to make some major changes. And we sort of turned them, most of them competed and turned it all around with a translation of about a 25% reduction in our benefit costs. Wow. And that was over a short period of time, like three months stints. And I think we had four, four programs. So in that short period of time, but what we found was not only did you have to motivate them, make it fun, you had to educate them, and then you had to show them how to sustain it. Mm -hmm. So I think that sort of all goes a long way when you're dealing with whether you're talking about an elite athlete or a potential elite athlete that's your child or, you know, an individual that's just trying to improve their overall health and wellness. Breaking it down, so, you know, we, we would say small, salient, um, doable, yeah. and uh, time limited, right? right? Because all of us, you know, um, will make these, you know, new, you know, the New Year's resolution right. goals, and then and people go, oh yeah, yeah, two weeks out, you know, every gym's you know signed up, and everybody's gotten those things, and then before you know, it, about week three or four of January, everybody's kind of dropped off. So. So goals, really achievement of goals, whether it's at, an, uh, like you said, an elite level uh, like Mariah or whether you're coaching someone, uh, you know, mm -hmm. at work, you're really trying to understand the person's why. Right. So Mariah's why was what? Uh, her why was she just needed, felt this need to be successful at something, mm -hmm. this sense of belonging, needed to belong to something uh, her brother was a natural athlete, also did well in hockey, did well in baseball, could play soccer, and she did those sports as well, but didn't find that real love for that sport. When she found running, she found a real love for that sport. Wow. Um, and to this day, I've asked her many times, do you ever lose the passion? And she says, no. Mm -hmm. On my worst days, my you know, where I haven't felt like I've performed, I still enjoy the freedom of what running gives me. And that's the clear mindset going out there and doing it. So in all these years, which has been now, uh, we're talking 14, 15 years, 12 years, wow. right? 12 to like heavy competitive um, training for 12 years. She has not once lost her focus for it. And I think that's the other thing that elite athletes have is this focus and this ability to see the end. And to keep motivated while you're going through your setbacks, which is your resilience, and, and being able to pick yourself up and go after it again. So I, I just want to talk a little bit more on the HR end, you know, because, yes. uh, you know, when you think about leadership, right, and you think about change in environments, and you've been in multiple environments now um, in the, on the HR end, and 
sometimes organizations make changes, right? And what are, and they may not get people with that same level of motivation that you were talking about here today. So what kind of guidance would you give HR, right? It's like, hey, you know, they've been told about it. <laughs> the change is coming. And some people kind of, you know, they get in the, the fast lane and they kind of make the change and other people kind of chug along. And then you have the people that say, I'm not getting off the sidewalk. No, no hell am I doing it. From a from an HR coaching perspective, for people that leaders that might be listening or HR people, what kind of things have you found that were successful in your roles to to use the kind of motivation that we know Mariah has to kind of motivate that employee base around around change? I think you have to find what's in it for them. Yeah, you know, and I think you have to break it down. So you know, if we take the Niagara Casinos and that uh, health and wellness program. Yeah, uh, the staff, the employees were asking for wellness programs. They wanted fitness memberships. Mm -hmm. um, when we went back to them to ask them why, they all, you know, listed issues that they had, whether they had diabetes or they were overweight or, you know, not able to participate with their children how they used to. Um, so we decided to create a challenge. I think that's the other thing when you're invoking change around health and wellness. If you can create create a competition between people then they know what's in it for them there's a competition whether it be a department an individual teams that are forming there's camaraderie they support each other and at the end of the day our goal was to have a healthier more engaged workforce mm -hmm. and at the same time we made a um, significant impact on our bottom line senior mm -hmm. management their focus was what's in it for them, which was the bottom line focus. How are we going to save money? Right. Um, the employee didn't really care about that. <laughs> Does it for have sure. any impact? Because they weren't paying right. for benefits. Right. It was all part of the plan. But they had a personal goal, whether they wanted to engage more with their family, they wanted to feel healthier, have more energy. And this program was able to uh, meet the needs of everyone involved. And I think the fact that it was tailored and it had lots of different opportunities for people to participate uh, was another part of its success. The last piece is it wasn't free. They had to pay. They had mm. to pay a little bit of it. So the company paid half and they paid half. And I think that's another piece that goes a long way. When they have some skin in the game, mm -hmm. they might have something to lose. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was something. Um, then they make the commitment as well. So really from a leadership level, like, I mean, we always say, like you said, the leadership said, what's the ROI, right, right on this change happening? But really, and I often talk about return on relationships right. versus return on investment. Right. So it was finding something of uh, why in those individuals' lives Plus, like you said, the challenge and making it fun. Right. Right. So not just, you know, um, by a certain date, I'm going to wait a certain amount without right. knowing what was important, but really digging down into why, why am I doing what I'm doing? If I'm diabetic and I have to like, you know, give myself a shot every day and I can't get out there with my kids, mm -hmm. that motivation for that person would be, I want to be able to get out there and, you know, run around or get on the hockey rink with my kids. Right. That's that person's motivation. Mm -hmm. So leadership could learn something from making that connection right. to really kind of understand it's not about I'm going to save, you know, 4.8 days on short-term disability right. claims, but it's that the fact that, you know, if it's, you know, Jane Doe, that she can actually enjoy her family a little bit more. And that's where you get the buy-in right. for people to be able to challenge, have fun and to make change. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. 
so much sense. And I think, would you agree that a lot of environments miss that? Um, I think they miss the opportunity to connect the dots for their mm-hmm. employees. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it comes across, I think that's the intention, but it comes across as being driven from the top down versus the bottom up. Um, it comes across as a benefit for the company instead of the employee. Mm-hmm. And it comes across that we must do versus we want to do. And it's, it's a pleasure or it's, um, it's a um, added benefit mm-hmm. for you as an employee to participate with. So it's almost like an ideal model would be that the top and the bottom should kind of meet somewhere in the middle right. where they almost create uh, like a, um, a hybrid right. of, yes, the bottom line is, yes, this is going to benefit the company, but really you know, what's going to be the benefit in that person's individual life, right. right, about why they're making the change. And often you get that from your surveys, right? And anytime you do a survey and you're implementing a health and wellness program, the employees all will suggest mm-hmm. childcare, um, you know, better flexible working hours, gym memberships, because they're all struggling with this, you know, trying to st- balance between the healthy lifestyle mm-hmm. and working. Right. So let's, let's pivot a bit more and kind of go back to parents. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but I, I know, I know a lot, a lot of parents that want the kid to, you know, be the top on the hockey team or, you know, be the best runner um, going off to offset or whatever. And people, you know, a lot of times we have dreams for our children and we superimpose those not knowingly sometimes. Um, what kind of guidance would you give parents that might have an athlete potentially that has acumen mm-hmm. um, or other kids that just don't have it as a parent to be able to excel that kid to a certain level, what kind of things would, should parents consider? Yeah, I think it's the same thing that we just talked about is finding where the passion is for that child. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And once you find that passion then you, you support it with the, um, the sense of confidence, the, the belief that they can achieve um, that sense of belonging Mm-hmm. And then you let the child lead. And if the child is uh, taking that initiative, if they know that, you know, to be a good runner, they need to go out and run three times a week. And you're not having to say, have you done your run yet? Are you going out for your run? <laughs> right. Um, you know, and they're taking that initiative, then yeah. you're likely all you're doing is guiding and allowing that to happen. Mm-hmm. Now with Mariah, it was never a problem of, you know, her going out for a run, her problem was when she was going to run. So sometimes we'd have to set some parameters. Okay, we've got, you know, this much time. So you need to do your run between nine and one o'clock. Because after that, we've got other things that we're doing. Mm -hmm. So um, those were some of the, you know, earlier stages where we would have to set a little bit of uh, boundaries around when she was going to do it, because she often would you know, do all kinds of things <laughs> before she got to that. And, and some of it was schoolwork. She put a lot of effort. That's the other thing with elite athletes are often very good at school. They have a very mm-hmm. high IQ because they have to be able to, um, you know, understand and um, understand their bodies, be able to um, have that knowledge to ask the right questions of their coaches, mm-hmm. uh, to challenge their coaches and to make sure that they're getting what they want. So in her, in her routine, I'm going to think that the mental piece is a big part of it. Can you speak a little bit to what kind of um, coaching she's had? Well, she's had some very, uh, even at 15, we had her with a sports psychologist uh, working on goal setting. Um, When she got um, into a D1 university, Baylor University, she was accepted on a five-year running scholarship. She had the support of a psychologist on staff 
Mm-hmm. Um, and now where she's at the Olympic Development Center in Victoria, uh, it's called the Pacific Institute of um, Excellence. And she has a sports psychologist that she works with. Um, and that sports psychologist is really important because um, with any kind of sport, there's a whole mental piece that goes along with it. So not only are you training physically for it, you're training your mind mentally. You need to be able to accept the setbacks, analyze those setbacks, make those changes, um, you know, uh, believe and, and really articulate what your needs are to your coach and those around you to ensure that you do get what you want. Because, I, I mean, the amount that she trains, it's anchored in her body, mm-hmm. right? I think the body becomes the instrument at some point. Right. But we know how the mental impacts the physical. And we're talking, what, what's, what's the shave-off time we're looking at for her? Uh, it's a couple seconds. A couple of seconds. So think about that, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, when I think, um, you know, as a psychotherapist, you know, and what I teach people ongoing about how thought impacts the body and how the body impacts the thoughts. Right. It could be a millisecond that she could potentially think something right. that shifts her off. Oh, that's, that would stop her from shaving exactly. that time off. Right? And I think that's the other thing um, that brings me back to the elite athletes. Uh, they have to remain focused mm-hmm. and they have to be focused in the moment, regardless of what's going on the morning of the day before mm-hmm. uh, what they may be anticipating in their mind. that's going to go on. She often speaks that in a race, she needs to be in that moment to hear the movements of the other women around her so that she can, you know, anticipate the move when she needs to make. So they hear the movement during the race. Yeah. Wow. That's how focused. So that's not, a- the, not the crowd applauding, not, you know, me yelling in the, <laughs> in the stands, cheering her on. She yeah. has none of that, but she's yeah. in the moment. And when she's in the moment, you can see it um, in her race performance. Wow. So completely right in the present, yeah. which is always what we, we talk about in yeah. psychotherapy, right? Yeah. You know, um, or coaching. It's going to, this is all you have right now. Yeah. This is all you have right now. Yeah. What's going to happen tomorrow, you have no control over, and right. what just happened a second ago is gone. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, at Nationals, she actually forgot her spikes. And this is a girl that forgets nothing on race day. Her <laughs> wow. bag is packed, everything's there forgot her spikes, had to wear another person's spikes that weren't the size that she needed. And still she was able to pull off uh, a third place finish at nationals. Again, not worrying, oh my God, I don't have my spikes. She just had to do what she had to do and get herself into that moment and and run that race. So now I'm going to say that I'm super proud because she's from our little village of Chippewa. And I'm going to call out to Chippewa because this is amazing. Because I remember when you and I would be out and she would, you know, we wanted, you'd want to go further and run and she'd, she'd go off to her grandma's and then, and then she pivots and then she's doing this amazing thing. Right. She's, you know, she's made Niagara Falls proud already and regardless of, of where this goes, um, but we're rooting for her. Now there's an event coming up um, that I'd love people to reach out and, 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 and support her. Um, I'm hoping that she's going to try to make the time to be on the show um, so that, it, you know, she can get more support from Niagara, not just Niagara, Canada. Right. Um, so tell, uh, tell everyone listening how they could support her. If they're, you know, there's a, I think there's a GoFundMe page yes. um, and there's this golf tournament coming up, um, you know, how they could, help out for so we can see our girl go off and do big things right so um the other thing that everyone should know these elite athletes in canada struggle immensely 
It costs anywhere from $10,000 to $30,000 a year to support these athletes. Uh, Canada does the best that they can, but their parameters around sport is not as lucrative as the U.S. Uh, the U.S. tends to have a lot of private sponsors, corporations in Canada, um, unless you're already a medalist at the Olympics, is the only time that your funding is completely covered. So we are raising funds as a family, um, you know, from Raya's last year, and we're hosting a golf tournament on October 6th at Willowdale Golf Course. It's a 12.30 shotgun start. It's $100 for each player if they register before October 1st and thereafter up to the event from October 2nd to the 6th, it's $120. There'll be a dinner after that will be open to people to attend, which will be $40 a person. There'll be raffles and giveaways as well as a silent auction that we're hoping to raise about $12,000 to help Mariah along her way so that she can focus on her training and not have to worry about finances. Uh, she also has a GoFundMe page, uh, which she's been, uh, people have been reaching out asking how they can support, and that's on um, Facebook uh, right now. And uh, all the monies that are raised through that will help to get her to where she needs to be. Awesome. So what I will do is um, I'll include both links. So, um, so for the for the GoFundMe and also Kelly for the to golf. Tokyo is the. Um, What's it? What is it? Kelly to Tokyo at gmail.com nice. is the um, tagline that we've come up with for the Eye on the Prize Golf Tournament. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Angus has been amazing. Thank um, you. And it's been thank <laughs> you for sharing and allowing me to have this opportunity to speak to everyone. And. Uh, and I'm sure everybody listening has gained a lot. But so I, I just want to kind of encapsulate what I heard um, about what it is to, to raise an elite athlete. Um, it's nurturing, it's confidence, and it's allowing that elite athlete to connect with what they see mentally already. So you can create anything in your mind first, and then everything else turns into place. For HR leaders and just leadership, Again, you talked about fun, buy-in, and hooking the ROI um, into, I'm going to call, say the ROR, which is a return on relationship. So get to know what your people um, are wanting different in their own lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this top-down strata, macro to micro, um, is, you know, something that doesn't work in most environments when you're trying to motivate people, try to figure out what the top says and what the bottom is needing and concurrently try to kind of uh, create that space. Um, and uh, for anyone uh, needing um, to get a hold of Angela, um, we'll make sure that there is an email if you're looking at uh, potentially uh, reaching out, talking as um as a parent that uh, maybe wants to learn a little bit more and um, also maybe potentially coaching. So um, and for myself, um, if you're needing any further information on me, you know that I'm a mental health and wellness expert, a keynote speaker and a coach, and uh, you can reach me at roxannedurhodge.com. Okay, Ange, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxannederhage.com slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.